Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. We have a problem. I'm just not sure of the source of the problem. Have you ever had that? You ever been like, oh, my stomach hurts. That's a problem. Did you eat the wrong thing? Do you have an ulcer? Are you dying? Like, how bad is it? I'm not sure the source of the problem. You ever smell something? Like, oh, that doesn't smell right. My church, I can't check. Maybe some noise in your car, and you know, that's not, that's not what a car, I'm not a mechanic, that's not what a car is supposed to sound like. How many of you here have your Christmas shopping done? How many? Totally done? I'll get the achievers in this service. How about y'all? How many of you here exclusively will shop online this Christmas, or like 90% online? Okay. There's like a guy in the back, he's going, I'm going to CVS on Christmas Eve. <clears throat> I got it. I think we'd all acknowledge that, you know, Amazon has kind of changed the world. Um, one of my traditions is I like to go to Walmart on Black Friday, and nothing happened this year. What's wrong with you people? It's like, there's almost nobody there. Thanks, Jeff Bezos. Like, what in the world? I'm there to see, like, the chaos. I want to see a fight. I mean, I, I mean. <laughs> I'm not there to watch them roll back prices, all right? <laughs> so online shopping has changed the world. Some of y'all had relatives on Thanksgiving Day that sat in a chair, messed on their phone. You're like, what are they doing? Checking their email, playing some word game? Like, what are they doing right now? And they're like, I'm done Christmas shopping. <laughs> Nobody grabbed packages off the front porch. They're done. They did it all. And so we know how normal it is to do that. The other day I was here at the office, and, and the reality is even during this Christmas season, we have to do shopping that's not Christmas shopping. And we've got a lot of leaves in our house. I've got this leaf blower, but it takes a special kind of gas that's mixed together with oil. I'm not the guy to mix gas and oil. And so I buy prepackaged. It's already mixed the right way. You can't mess this up. So, yeah, somebody is offended already. We talk into the message. So... <clears throat> So I order this stuff. I, go, I get on Amazon. I'm like, they have it. Like, I wasn't even sure. They have it. Highly flammable objects. <laughs> and I have a ring doorbell. And like, if you're an Amazon delivery person, I love you. We have the same job. We both deliver things. And so I'm delivering stuff. And so some of you, you're probably like the guy that sets it on the package and like care and it's kindness and the label's face on the door. Got it. But there's some delivery people that are in a rush. And they'll throw stuff at the door. And so I'm about to put this in my cart, and I'm th- I start picturing Amazon Eddie at the end of my driveway throwing Molotov cocktails. It's like, not going to do that, not going to do that. So I usually go to Lowe's, but then I was like, Home Depot is closer to the office, and I'm way home. I'll just run over there. So I hop online to see does Home Depot have what I'm looking for, and they did. But not only do they have that, they have curbside pickup. Have you seen this? Have you used this? I had never used this before. I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, I'll just kind of go in there. And, and curbside pickup, that's biblical. <laughs> because it says to flee temptation. And see, what happened when I go to like Home Depot or Lowe's, if I go in, I'm like going in to buy a can of gas, and I come out with like a power blower. It's like, <laughs> I don't need a fan, but they were on sale. <laughs> it's like I tell my wife, like, we got enough pillows. Don't go to Target. It's the next pandemic. Instead of toilet paper, it's pillows. Because who knows? Come to our house. We got you. So I do curbside pickup, I pull up, so I'm not used to this, I just kind of usually get whatever spot I can find, but I'm looking for these spots, there's four spots at the front of Home Depot over here on Strickland Road, and they're all occupied, and the one guy is doing, he's a three-quarter parker, have you seen that? Three-quarter, those of you who aren't shaking your head, yes, you're the person, yeah? Three-quarters of the car's in the space, quarter of the car's in some other space, they're kind of diagonal, so I can't pull in, so I pull up behind them, I'm going to prove a point. But then they start backing up. So then I'm like honking and people are looking like, isn't that guy a pastor? And so I'm like, I'm out of the thing. And they leave and I pull in and I'm like, how do they know I'm here? Like, how does this thing work? And says, text this number when you arrive. So I text the number and nothing happens. So I'm like, all right, just wait. <clears throat> so I you now sit on the phone for like five minutes scrolling through social media. And then, then I start looking at the cars around me, but I don't want them to know that I'm looking at them. You know, it's like when you pull up next to somebody at a stoplight, and you're like, they have a dog in their car? Is that a bunch of hair flying around that you don't want to, like, look? It's just an awkward moment. And so I look at the car kind of diagonal to me. That was the easiest one to see. And there's a guy sitting there. He's a three-quarter parker, too, but it doesn't affect my life, so I'm good with that. 
But I'm watching and he's watching his phone, but he's not watching like he's scrolling through social media. He's been watching for a while. He's watching Netflix. Now, I don't know how many episodes in he is, but I'm starting to get concerned about this because the car next to me, they're leaving because their package was delivered. Car across from me, the car diagonal, he's watching Netflix. So I'm like, what about the car next to me? I look over, there's nobody in it. So then I'm like, what happened to them? Did they wait so long they decided to go inside? Did they die? Like, who, who knows? And then I thought, what if the employees know nobody messes with curbside pickup so I can just park here and it's some employee who wants to park by the front and they're just using the spot. So I'm parked across from, you know, Netflix Nelly over here and, you know, not the employee of the month. So I start watching the front door of the store. When I did retail, they used to say, if you've got time to lean, you got time to clean. I heard that. I'm looking up there and there's just some guys with the orange vests on and they're laughing and having a good time. I'm like, you got time to laugh? Go get my gas. Like, what are you doing up here? Could have sent a carrier pigeon, brought it over on a pony with Western Union. Like, come on. 20 minutes into this thing. And then I thought, is the problem out there or is the problem in here? Last week, we started this series called Illuminate. And I was preaching from Genesis chapter 1, talking about how God is a God of light. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, and it doesn't say this about all of his characteristics. God is love. Bible doesn't say God is wrath, justice. There's a lot of characteristics that are mentioned, but it says that God is light. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. And that light shines into a dark world. Genesis chapter 1, the earth is formless and void, empty. And the very first thing the God of light does is speaks light into existence. Let there be light. And the Christmas story is a story of light coming into darkness. The shepherds are out in the field and the glory of God breaks in and shines all around them. And he leads some wise men by a light in the sky. And he leads Israel in the wilderness by fire by night. There's light all over the Bible. It's light shining in the darkness. But I wonder is the problem, we talked a lot about the dark world we're in. I read you some news headlines. We talked about the fallenness of sin, the darkness inside of us, the darkness that's around us. But I wonder, what about what's going on inside the church? We're gonna look at a passage today that says that we are the light of the world. But I wonder if there's more people in the church that are busy for Jesus than there are overflowing with Jesus. I wonder if there's more people that'll sing songs of adoration to Jesus, but their hearts don't adore him. People that know truth about him, but aren't representing that truth from within them. And so the question I want you to ask as we look at this passage is, is our problem out there in this dark world, or is it in here, in house, in, in my car at Home Depot, in the house of God, the church? If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Last week we started in the first book in the Bible. Today we're going to be looking at the first book in the New Testament, Matthew uh, the Christmas story is more of Matthew chapter 1 and 2. You heard Pastor Bryce read some of chapter 1. We'll get there. Uh, but today we're going to do Matthew chapter 5. Now last week we were saying the, the Bible starts with let there be light and there was no sun or moon. And it ends with the same type of scenario. Let me read you Revelation chapter 22 verse 5. And night will be no more. It's the last chapter in the Bible. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. And then we see all throughout the Bible, from the beginning to the end, this battle of light and darkness. We've got this Christmas story. Light comes into the world. Jesus, who claims himself, John 8, 12, I am the light of the world, is born into a dark world. He starts his ministry. What's happening in the passage of Scripture we'll look at today, Matthew chapter 5. He's been shining that light first through his works. He's healed every disease. He's doing all kinds of miracles. And then in Matthew chapter 5, it's through his words. The people that are listening, there's a diverse crowd, probably like there is today. Whether you're online, here, there's different types of people. There's some people that are in the crowd that he's preaching to that are committed to Jesus. It's like, what do I do? Teach me things I don't know so I can do better in this world of representing you. There's people that are there and there's people here. Anybody here today, that's you? You acknowledge that? There's some people that are curious about Jesus. Not against him. They think there's probably something more than what they're experiencing in this life. 
maybe Jesus is who that is, and they're checking them out. And there's people that are conflicted because they're at odds with Jesus. And they're all there, and they're all here today too. And what's happening, just to give you the context, Jesus is at the peak of his popularity. I'm going to read you, uh, we're going to look at really Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. I'm going to read you Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. So he's incredibly popular. What he's going to say in Matthew 5, not so popular. But he is popular. Look at what it says. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel. The gospel means the good news of the kingdom. Kingdom's a weird word. This isn't Lord of the Rings we're reading right now. Some mythology or some knights and round tables and things. Kingdom here, when you hear that word in the Bible, hear this. Rule and reign. It's the good news of the rule and reign of God. And healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So wait a minute, think about that. Every disease? Every affliction? He didn't always do that. The last series I preached a passage from John chapter 5. There's a pool of Bethesda. There's a whole bunch of disabled people. Jesus heals one guy. But here, he's going through all of Galilee, healing every disease, healing AIDS, healing leprosy. Amputees are having arms grow back. Every cancer, affliction, difficult relationships, mental illness. If that happened, don't you think that'd be pretty popular? Look what it says next. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick. Yeah, no kidding. Those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them, all of them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea, all over. The, people are coming from all over the place to hear Jesus. So this is a big crowd. He's going to preach a sermon, Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. We're just going to read the very beginning of it today. It's oftentimes referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, some of you are signed up. You're going to come with us to Israel in June. Have you ever wondered to yourself, how did Jesus preach? He didn't even have one of these. He didn't have a microphone. We're going to go to a mountain, and you're going to see how one person could sit at the top of that mountain and speak to all these different people. The amplification of the water that's behind it. If you're not going already, by the way, it's a great Christmas gift. <laughs> if you're going to go and you just haven't done it yet, don't waste a, I've been taught, one of my friends, he's sitting over here, Alan told me before, he's like, if you're going to make a big purchase, like buy a car or something, give it as a gift. Don't waste that opportunity. <laughs> so if you're coming to Israel with us, it's uh, quite an experience because Jesus is so popular. There's these huge crowds. But what I'm about to read you, not popular. We oftentimes call the beginning the Beatitudes. Listen to what he's saying here. He talks to them about being blessed. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, because that's what teachers would do then, his disciples came to him, his learners, that's the word disciples means, came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Not for being a jerk, not for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. And then verses 13 through 16 go on to talk about us being the light of the world. So here's Jesus, John chapter 8, verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. And then he's going to say about you, you are the light of the world. And what we see him doing here first, though, when he goes to these 12 verses we just read, really verses 3 through 10, the beginning sets it up. Verses 11 and 12 are commentary on verse 10. Verses 3 through 10, he's pulling back the curtain that this is a world of darkness. And he's showing the emptiness. 
Because what light does, and this is our only point today, there'll be some subpoints, and those of you who listen really closely, pick those up. But the only point today is this that Jesus displays God's light in a broken world. And so Jesus is doing here is he's putting on display God's light. He started off doing it with works, now he's doing it with his words. And what he's doing is exposing this world is dark. I don't know if anybody here would disagree with that. Like even if you're not a Jesus follower and you don't believe the Bible, if you just look around at the world and you see the brokenness, you see divorce, you see disease, tsunamis, like shootings, like you just see these things and you're like, this is a dark world. It's a broken place. And so I can read you the news headlines and they'll be different than the ones I read to you last week and it's still dark. But is the problem out there or in here? Does anybody have any dissonance when you see these statements in the Bible that we claim we believe that we are under the authority of? And You know, let me tell you something. When the abnormal is your routine, the abnormal becomes normal. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Like, I'm guessing most of you here, if you have kids or you've babysat or just run around little kids, you tell kids don't take candy from strangers, right? Except that one day. One day, you go trick-or-treating, unless you're against that, and if you're against that, that's fine. But One day, you tell them, go to a stranger's door and tell them if they don't give you candy, there's going to be consequences. <laughs> All right? Trick-or-treat. But it's abnormal because it's only one day. But if you did that every Friday, one of the neighbor's houses, hey, hey, I need some candy or there's going to be some problems. <laughs> My parents says say trick or treat, but I wasn't getting the results I wanted. <clears throat> but when that abnormal is your routine, abnormal becomes normal. Here's another illustration. I could give you exercise. If you don't ever exercise and then you exercise, your body will tell you that's abnormal. The abnormal becomes your routine. The abnormal becomes your normal. Now, if you do exercise all the time and then you don't for a season, your body will start telling you, hey, I don't feel like I used to feel. When the abnormal is your routine, the abnormal becomes normal. And so I ask you the question today, we live in a dark world and I think everybody would acknowledge there's darkness out there. What about the church? Like we say we believe the Bible. Do you, do you, you realize there are churches in this city today, where the person who's preaching from the Bible will come out with a rainbow collar on their, their robe. And it's not because they're preaching Noah. And what happened with the story of Noah is pretty ironic. God regretted he made man because they were so wicked that all they did was think about wickedness all the time. And so he, in his wrath, destroyed everything with a flood by his mercy, kept some people. It's not what they deserved. But think of how gracious it was to some of the people that even got destroyed. How bad is a world for a two-year-old or anybody that's vulnerable when everybody around you is more powerful than you and all they think about is wickedness all the time? Pretty gracious of his wrath, by the way. And he says, but I'll give you the sign, a rainbow, that I won't do that again. I won't destroy the earth with water. And then... It gets used to promote Genesis 18 and 19. Read about that. You know where sodomy came from? Sodom? God's condemning that. So we live in a world where sin's not only tolerated, it's celebrated out there, but in here. And then there's a bunch of stuff we're not supposed to talk about. Like some of you are getting real uncomfortable because you're like, is this Christmas time? Just be nice. <laughs> Jesus is awesome. The world is awesome. Everything is awesome. It ain't awesome. I mean, a few years back, Protestants, we could look and be like, man, the Catholic Church has some problems abusing kids. Uh, May, anybody read the news? Southern Baptist, 700 cases. Sexual abuse in the church, 30 of them here in North Carolina at least. And if you think that's it, you are naive. Oh, it's those Catholics, the priest should be allowed to get married and there's too much power and they don't even let people read the Bible. Oh, what's the problem with us? The problem out there, problem in here. Oh, no touch of God's anointed. Well, what if they're sinning? Hmm. What about our views of forgiveness? How is it that I can hop on my social media and see a pastor 
who is getting confronted on a Sunday service by a congregant for raping her, and then the congregation prays for him. That's a problem. We think that forgiveness is just a transaction. That's a problem. I said, I was sorry. There are consequences. Am I allowed to do that today? Doesn't matter. It's done. And you know what? It makes you really uncomfortable when you expect great news, but you get a lot of darkness. Well, imagine what happened in this sermon. Jesus is healing every disease, all the sickness. Crowds are coming. Matthew chapter 5, we read it. He goes up on a mountain, and because this is what you do when you teach, he sits down. The first word out of his mouth is a universal felt need. It's the Greek word, makarios. Your Bibles translated it blessed, probably. It's 90-some percent of translations in American Bibles say that. The word means happy, favor. We all want that. In fact, the vision document for our country, the Declaration of Independence, you have an unalienable right. I mean, it can't be taken from you. You were born with it. You can't transfer it to somebody else. It's your right of what? Pursuit of happiness. At least the pursuit. At least go after it. But it's not just Americans. A French mathematician, a guy named Blaise Pascal, he's pretty famous. He's also a philosopher. He says, everybody's seeking happiness always in every endeavor even people who hang themselves. We all want to be happy. And Jesus starts off and he says, happy are the poor, mourning, hungry, persecuted people. What Jesus is doing is saying, you've been in the abnormal so long, it's become your routine. The abnormal becomes your normal. And he's saying, I'm not showing you an upside-down world. I'm showing you what was intended. You're living in an upside-down world. And you can't be the light if you're living for this world. And so he shows a path to happiness that most people, there'd be this cognitive dissonance. No, 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 that's not true. Is he misspeaking? Uh, maybe he just, he didn't, does he know what he's saying? He spoke everything into existence. Yes, he knows what he's saying. So, so what does he say here? He says, go back through that. Look at some of these statements in case you missed them when we first read them. Happy are the who? And, and why, Why? by the way, you might ask yourself this, uh, why, if the word means happy, didn't they just translate it happy? Um, well, try to imagine being a Bible translator. And you know what the Greek word means. And you're trying to put that in English. But you know what people in America, in Europe, in Australia, people who speak English. You know what they hear when they hear the word happy. They usually think like happy birthday. I hope you have a good day today. I hope you have nice circumstances. Happiness for most of us is based on what happens around us. Makarios is deeper than that. It does mean happiness, but it's a kind of happiness that can't be touched by the circumstances around us. That's an otherworldly happiness. And the problem is, for a Bible translator, they don't even have a word in this world that we live in that will do that. And so they use the word blessed because it's as close as they can get. It's good. We know that it's a good word, and it's more than just circumstances. But Jesus said, makarios, are the who, the rich? Nope. Poverty. Poverty of spirit. That's a humility. It's a spiritual bankruptcy where you come to God and say, I can't do this. I need you poor in spirit. Happy are the who? Rich? Nope, nope, poor. Happy are the, the celebrated? Nope, the mourning. Mourning over their own sin, the brokenness of this world. Happy are the strong and mighty? Nope, the meek, those who have strength under control of the Holy Spirit. The well-fed? Nope, hungry. Verse 6. Mercenaries? Nope, merciful. The perverted? Nope, the pure in heart. Victors? Nope, peacemakers. King of the hill? Nope. Persecuted. When abnormal is your routine, abnormal becomes your normal. And what Jesus is doing here is what any great visionary does is before I'm going to give you the vision, 
which the vision is verses 13 through 16. Do you want to know God's plan for your life? It's verses 13 through 16. That is his desire for you. While you're in this dark world, he gives you a new identity. It's an identity statement. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine that they see your good deeds and your Father in heaven will receive glory. You were created for his glory. You want to be satisfied? You want to be happy? Here's the pathway because this is what people who live for another world look like in this world. That's what's being said here. But when you live with the same hope that everybody in the world has, nobody's asking about your hope. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. And so what Jesus does, same thing, you know, listen to the Martin Luther King speech. I have a dream, but sorry, I identified the problem. Thomas Edison, getting tired of working by candlelight, burning all these documents. Got a pro- you know, everybody knew the problem, but you're stepping in going, there's a different way. Here's a solution. I'm gonna do-. So you look in the Bible and you see people, anybody who has a vision, Moses gets a vision, people are in bondage. People have been crying out in bondage for 400 years. Everybody knew there's a problem. So Moses is like, I got to do something about it. He makes a mistake at the beginning and he tries to accomplish God's plan his way. That always goes bad. Just a little extra advice. Don't do that. Wait on him. Abraham and Sarah, they'll tell you the same thing. Like, just keep going through the Bible. But he had the vision. It's not right that God's people are in bondage. They need to be set free. And God will end up using a plague of darkness as part of his process of Israel being the light of the world. Nehemiah, the walls are down. He's not even living there. First, got to talk about the problem. I'm going to give you the vision, a preferred future. That's it's one of the struggles of our country right now, by the way. Again, this, all this political turmoil. So you listen to either side. I don't care which side you're on, Democrat or Republican. It's the same spiel with different talking points. This is how bad it'll be if somebody else is in charge. Fear. No common enemy. You know, one time it was Russia. And it was terrorism. We don't have that anymore. It's each other. We've got no common vision. Let's put a man on the moon. Or whatever other mission that we're on together, we don't have that. No preferred future. What Jesus is doing here is he's going, here's a problem. You're empty, but you're chasing emptiness. It's like Ecclesiastes says. It's like a chasing after the wind. When an empty heart chases after emptiness, it's going to end up empty. He's going, there's a different pathway, but it's from a different world. And so the problem for the people that were hearing this in the original audience is that they wanted a different kind of Messiah than what Jesus is now presenting. They expected a Messiah that would overthrow Rome. They were under Roman oppression. They wanted to make Jerusalem great again. Not kidding. That's what they were looking for. 80 to 90% taxation, you know, fix that. And they were expecting that from Jesus. And here he comes healing every disease and having all this authority and teaching unlike we've ever heard before. But you know what? If you fast forward through the Gospels, it becomes really interesting. What ends up taking place is that they welcome him and call him their Messiah. As he's riding on a donkey, as was prophesied, and he's coming into town, and the, the actual phrase they use is, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. We sing that sometimes. You know what that means? That means save us, we pray. And different Gospels talk about this. Matthew, Mark, and John, different ones. One of them says, He's in the line of David. What they're declaring is you are our Messiah. You are the Messiah that we've been waiting for. Salvation has come through you. Save us. Which is really interesting when you keep reading because a few days later, John 19, Mark 15, the Jews have taken Jesus, who they've just declared as their Messiah, and handed them over to Rome. And the Roman governor, Pilate, comes out and he says, I've examined him. There's no, this guy's done nothing wrong but he's been beaten and he's bloody and they want a Messiah who overthrows Rome and he seems to be submitting to Rome and the same people who chanted Hosanna in the highest now chant crucify him. Hmm. But if you know the story, it's interesting that Pilate says to the people, you have a custom, it's not his custom, Jewish people have a custom, the Passover, I'll release a prisoner to you. I've already told you, find no guilt in this man. And he calls Jesus the king of the Jews. I can release to you the king of the Jews, Jesus, or I can release to you Barabbas, which Mark tells us he's a known insurrectionist, meaning he's trying to overthrow Roman government. 
Mark chapter 15 and verse seven. I believe we'll have that verse, so you know I'm not making this stuff up. It says in Mark chapter 15 and verse seven that he was a known insurrectionist. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. Now what's really interesting about that Mark verse is that some manuscripts, not all of them, we're not positive this is true, but some manuscripts say his full name was Jesus Barabbas. Hmm. So it was being presented to that crowd, that the same people, that when they were at their worship gathering, Hosanna in the highest, and now presented, do you want Jesus, the king of the Jews? Or do you want Jesus that will overthrow the government? Give us that Jesus. I want Jesus that fixes my government problems. See, here's the problem. When you're wrong about the source of your problem, you will be wrong about the solution. When you think you have a government problem, you will seek an election solution. When you think you have an economic problem, you will seek a financial solution. If you think that you have a physical problem, you will seek a medical solution. If you think that you have a problem, that's a problem with ignorance, you'll seek education. If you think it's a problem with a thought process, philosophy. But when you realize you have a spiritual problem, you know your only hope is a supernatural solution. Problem for them? we got a government problem. we got to make Jerusalem great again. Give us Barabbas. And you remade the Messiah. Hmm. False Jesus. Aren't you glad we're so enlightened we would never do something like that? Hmm. And then they chant, crucify him, about the real Jesus. And it gets real dark. But three days later, Come to Jerusalem with me and I'll show you. The tomb's empty. Still empty. Nobody in there. Light came in. The stone was rolled away and he is risen. Yeah. What he's doing with that light is exposing the emptiness in this world. He is at war with emptiness in this world. But when this world is all we know, it becomes our normal. And so what he does with his light and these words as he shows us in this dark world what our only hope is. First sub-point, in case you didn't pick it up, is that this light is at war with the emptiness in this world. Second sub-point is that God's light reveals our only hope in our dark world. See, their problem was much deeper than they thought. Their problem was a sin problem. In this same sermon, a few verses after what I'll read to you today, he says this, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, wow. You don't have a shot. He's telling them they're hopeless. Paul says it later in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, he says this. Remember that you, this is all of us, were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. A lot of false hope. We can educate the problem. Finance the problem will our way through the problem. You have no hope. And until you realize you have no hope, you're really hopeless. Realizing you have no hope, it's what verse three calls spiritual poverty. To realize your only hope is the God of hope. And sometimes what has to happen in order for that to become seen by us is all the other hopes have to be removed. That's scary. I read a devotional this week by a guy named Paul David Tripp, and he said that hopelessness is the doorway to hope. And what he was saying was that, because Jesus becomes your hope when all the other hope is gone. And what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, when he says, you, you must have righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, you've got to understand who those people are. Like, they're, they're going to all this effort to not violate the Sabbath, <laughs> way more than we do, just so you know. They're going to all this effort to tithe 
not just on their money and the bank accounts and their business transactions, but it says in the Bible on their mint, their dill, and their cum. That's the herbs in their garden. Not even the, I'm not even talking vegetables. Like I never told y'all, hey, at your garden, bring every 10th tomato, bring the first one here, you know, we got a 10. Like I'm supposed to tell you about tithing. We don't want your tomatoes, all right? Like they talk, you, these Pharisees, you talk about not lusting, they ain't even talking about pornography. Like if they see a woman walking down the street, they go down the other side of the street to not walk past that woman in case maybe they would have a thought. And then Jesus says to them, your, your righteousness must exceed that. We're all in trouble. You know what the Bible says? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Hmm. He says here though, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven, that's interesting language. I told you when you hear the word kingdom, you rule and reign. Um, go back if you've got your Bibles and if you, if you can on the slides. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 and uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so if you give yourself permission to write in your Bible, I'd underline those two things. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember, kingdom is rule and reign. What we have here is what's called an inclusio. And that is what Bible scholars an envelope or a, a picture framing, like whatever language you want to use to say that, but where something starts and ends with the same theme. What's happening is everything in between that is commenting on that topic. And so, Pastor Bryce, at the beginning of this service, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, he will be Emmanuel, God with us. Anybody here know Matthew? How does that book end? How does, what's the end of that? There's like this commission. You're supposed to go be disciple makers. And there's a promise. Oh, lo, I'll be with you always. He's leaving. What do you mean I'll be with you always? So the whole book of Matthew is about him being with us. Oh, the Christmas story when he breaks in. But he's giving us this mission to go and share the gospel, but I'm with you in that process, and everything in between is a commentary on that. And here we've got a mini section where it's about the rule and reign of God. And this is what the rule and reign of God looks like, poor in spirit. How do you get there? Realize you don't have anything to bring to the table. You're spiritually bankrupt. That's poor. Mourning? Mourning over what? Brokenness in your own life and the world around you? You're going to be comforted. God's got answers. It's another world, though. Hmm. Hungering, thirsting for righteousness? How do you get there? Well, sometimes. The reason why you're in dark days is because of your own sin. And when you start realizing this is what gets me here and this is what digs me here, I don't want that. I want something else. How do you get to the place where you, you're persecuted? Because the Bible says, you know, we act like if you just live for Jesus, everybody's going to like you. And you'll end up on the news and Nobel Peace Prize. It's like, Jesus said they hated me. They're going to hate you. If you really follow him, they killed him. He says the reward here is in heaven. What you're revealing is heaven on earth because you're breaking through in a dark world with light, living under the rule and reign of God. And the way that happens is when they see your hope, that there actually is hope. So one of the things that God's light does is it shines that hope into this world which is actually without hope. And there's a lot of false hopes, but it's chasing the wind. Emptiness, chasing emptiness, ends in emptiness, not fulfillment. Hmm. The problem is we minimize our sin, like Pastor Bryce was talking about. And when we minimize our sin, you don't really need a savior. But when you realize your sin, he's the only essential worker who did the work on the cross, Jesus and then he comes, the reason why he says, Lord, I'm with you always, because he comes to live in you, the Holy Spirit. That's what the light is that's shining out of you, which is the best news of all, all the subpoints here. This is what happens here in verses 13 through 16. I haven't read to you yet, but, but glance down if you've got your Bible. And, here, and here's your subpoint. God's light is dispersed through people whose hope is in him. The people whose hope is in him are the people who's, who are the light of the world, who have his light in them. And think about the, the mind-blowing truth that's being given here. And I won't spend much time on verse 13 because this series is about light, but it's incredible about the salt too. I'll just read it to you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be remembered? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are, and here's where we'll spend our time, the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. This is quite a vision, Jesus. 
nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. Wait a minute, even the people who aren't the light? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Part of the whole work of the Holy Spirit is preserving this world. It would be worse if you weren't here, those of you who are followers of Christ, by the way. It brings conviction in the world. It's one of the reasons why there's opposition in the world. Light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So verse 13 and verse 14 both start with this word, you, who are the you? Don't just assume it applies to you. Remember the context. Context is important. I mentioned that once or twice before in the history of our church. Context. The you are the people that have just been described in verses 3 through 10 that live under the rule and reign of God. But it doesn't say here, now, if that's who you are, go do this or go start lighting. No, you are light. Well, that's mind-blowing when you think about who it is that's saying it. Genesis chapter 1, there is this formless and void, the God of light. Light's always existed. It's eternal because God is eternal. 1 John 1, 5, God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. But the earth is formless and void. He says, let there be light. God who is light then brings light into darkness. Then comes, and, and, and I'm not going to preach this passage, but it's a great passage for this series. It's, Christmas was just long. It would be awesome if Christmas, we should start Christmas earlier. We don't start that debate. <clears throat> John chapter 8, verses 1 through 10, there's a woman caught in adultery. She's living in the darkness of her own sin. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. John chapter 9, there's a man who's blind, and it's not because of his sin. He lives in a dark world. He's always lived in a dark world. And then there's people that can see that ask at the end of John chapter 9, are we blind? Yep. And the God who is light, who declares himself light in the midst of the darkness of individual sin, the darkness just of a world that's affected by sin, says, you are light. <laughs> Anybody here ever run a race that's like a relay race? Could be a potato sack thing, might have been track, field day. Ever run on a relay team? You know what that's like? You're handing off the baton. I ran track in high school. In fact, I had a, um, I'm from Michigan. And in Michigan, there's a, a famous coach. He was my coach. He coached for 48 years there. He's a Hall of Fame coach. He's won like every kind of championship. And he's retiring this year. And so he started posting memories. And my, my wife, yeah, I don't know how the algorithms work on Facebook, but my wife gets all of his stuff more than I do. And so one day she wrote me and she said, he posted some stuff about you. And I'm like, uh-oh, that was before Jesus. <laughs> That's on the internet now, huh? <laughs> so I went and looked and he was very gracious. Uh, he loves Jesus. In fact, I came to Christ um, under some of his leadership and I um, was a track coach there as a follower of Jesus and tried to point people to Jesus through his, his ministry. And uh, one of the things he posted was from my sophomore year, which is well before I came to Jesus, and thankfully I wasn't on this video. Uh, he posted a video of a 4x100 relay that I was part of the team, but not that relay team. But as soon as my wife sent it to me and said, this race is incredible, I was like, I remember that because when, when it happened, we couldn't believe it. And then we watched it the next day at practice, and when we were done watching it, we said, play it again. <laughs> now, it's just one time around the track. This was the fastest team in not only our state. We won the state championship that year, but they weren't only the fastest team in our state. Um, for about five years running, it was the fastest time, uh, I think, in all of high school track. They ran about 42 seconds to go around the track. So just keep that in mind when I tell you this. And if you're familiar with relays, you know, usually the strategy is you put the fastest guy at the end, second fastest guy at the beginning, now, if you've got two fast guys in the middle, you're doing really well. But even if you don't, it's like just stay in the race. So kickoff leg, he pops off. He's doing great. A little bit of a lead. He goes to hand off to the second guy. But their legs got tangled. And he fell down. Now, some of you have seen these like the miler falls out. Yeah, but you got a mile. You got a lot of time to make up for that mistake. 42 seconds. This is how much time this can take you. Falls down, rolls, comes up running, but he's now so far behind the guy in front of him, you can't even see the guy in front of him on the video. Only four by one, but he keeps running. And he hands off to the third guy. The third guy's faster than their third guy, but we're still so far behind. What they didn't know is we had Jerron Mosley. He was fast. 
In fact, my wife couldn't believe it when she watched the video. I knew because I had grown up watching this guy play sports. I had grown up running track with him. He's a senior. I'm a sophomore. He's like, that's the guy. He ran past their anchor leg so fast, it looked like the guy was standing still. He won by still about 10 feet. We were so far behind when he got the baton. So the God of light spoke light into existence. Christmas story, Jesus, I am the light of the world. And then he's saying to you, you are the light of the world. He's handed you the baton. I would argue, as the church, we've fallen down. Here's what I would say. Keep going. Just stay in the race. Because you know what? Jesus is also the anchor. Oh, and you know, John Mosley, love you if you're watching. <laughs> Jesus wins. <laughs> Keep running. Keep going. But it says here to let your light shine. Let your light shine in this dark world. How do we do that? How do we let our light shine? Well, let me tell you something. A lot of times it means walking through the valley of darkness. Because light shines really bright in the dark. And some of you here are going through the valley. Maybe a difficulty in a relationship. It might be wanting a relationship. It might be wanting a baby. And you're infertile. And we're talking about born virgin. You're like, we can do this miracle. And why won't he? And you're mad at God because he's not doing what you want him to do. Or he's not doing it the time you want him to do it. And you're in a dark place. And I remember the first job I had when I was in seminary. My wife and I were confident God had called us in a ministry. We weren't ready. And so we went and I just thought I need to learn more of the Bible. And so we go to this place in Dallas, Texas, Dallas Theological Seminary. First job I get, because we're not independently wealthy, had to work. Man. First job I get is selling ski trips to Colorado. And uh, it's to groups. And so if you worked at a place that was anywhere near Colorado and I might be able to get you on the phone, maybe I called you before. <laughs> and get your group to get on a bus and head to Colorado. Well, I'd finally get to a decision maker on some of these calls, and we'd be talking, and then they'd ask me about Vail, or Breckenridge, or Aspen, or Crested Butte. Well, I didn't know. For those of you who don't know, it's Crested Butte. How do you learn? Anyway. Problem for me was I had never been to Colorado but I'm supposed to sell trips that go to Colorado. But the owner of the company was no dummy. So what he had was at my cubicle, all the brochures on what these places were like. So you want to go to Crested Butte? I'll tell you what it's like. <laughs> Finally get the guy on the phone, grab the brochure, Crested Butte. It may not be the most visited ski town in Colorado, but it's a small town feel, just a distance from the traffic and crowds of Summit County and make it a worthy underdog, would you consider? Should I sign you up? An old coal mining town turned into a ski destination. Crested Butte receives more than 300 of inches of snow annually on more than 1,500 skiable acres. Should I sign you up? You know, I'd read these brochures and I remember what it was like the first time I actually went to Colorado and felt the altitude smelled the mountain air and became overwhelmed with the magnitude of a mountain. A brochure can't teach you that. You want to know why you might be in a dark season? You ever read the book of Job? Job's darkness isn't because of his sin. Problem for Job, he didn't read Job. Verses 1 through 12 tell us that. There's this battle that's going on that he doesn't get to see between darkness and light, between God and Satan. Ephesians says that there's a spiritual battle taking place and it's not against flesh and blood. We're fighting with each other. You know what? A lot of people say stuff to Job throughout that book. His wife tells him to curse God and die. He loses all of his businesses. His kids die. He's got boils all over his body. His friends tell him it's because of his sin. You already know when you're reading the book, it's not because of his sin. Shut up, man. But you know what Job says? Job chapter 42, I had heard of you, now I see. It's the other side of the valley. 
Some of us think we're ready. Not ready. God's getting you ready. You know what Jesus says to Peter? You're not ready. Satan's asked to sift you. But I've prayed for you. And when you turn back, if I'm Peter, I'm like, whoa, 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 turn back. Hold up. That means I turned away. What are you talking about? Peter doesn't do that, surprisingly. He says, strengthen your brothers. Then you'll be ready to lead the leaders. After you've betrayed me, I'm even going to use your sin. Some of you in dark places because of your own sin. God's not done with you. Stay in the race. Keep going. You are the light of the world. Father, we come before you. Thank you that in this dark world, you shine your light. Let there be light in our hearts and our minds in this world through us because our hope would be fixed on you. If that means you have to remove all hope, we don't want that. But if that's what it takes, we trust you. You are good. You only do good. You even take evil and use it for good. You can take the worst things that happen inside, outside the church. Where's the problem? The inside? Yep, both. But you've given us the light. You've handed us the baton. God, I pray for every brother and sister in Christ. And they would stay focused on you. They keep running the race. All they might know is the next step. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. Take the next step. For some of you, your next step is trusting Christ. If you don't know, maybe you're one of the curious. He's the answer. He is the way, the truth, the life. He's the way to another world, heaven. But you've got to put yourself under the rule and reign of him and ask him to be your savior. Realize the darkness of your sin. Confess that sin to him and ask him to be your savior right now. I challenge you. If you're watching online, write me a direct message or put it in the comments. Just put the word Jesus. You might not want words to say. Just write Jesus. I'll write you back. One of our pastors will write you back. In this room, with me right now, confess your sins to him the best you know how. Ask Jesus to be your Savior. Then go to our next steps table before you leave and just say, I need to know more about Jesus. We'll give you resources. We'll help you. We won't make you feel uncomfortable. We won't make you feel weird. We won't make you feel ignorant. You need supernatural help. And we want to help you. We know him. God, there are people that know you and they need strength, they need power, they need encouragement. There are people that came in here committed, fired up, and I want to learn more about you. God, I pray that you would have stoked that fire today and they would keep running. I pray for those that are stumbling and falling. They would keep running. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.